Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast, episode number two. It's August 4th, 2006. My guest again today is Norman Bodak, the president of PCS Press, an author and expert on the Toyota production system. We'll discuss a number of lean topics today, but the starting point for the discussion is the notion of blame. It's something I've blogged about in the last two weeks uh, in the context of two aviation near-miss incidents, one at O'Hare and one at LAX. W. Edwards Deming taught us that most quality problems, or over 90% anyway, are the result of the system, and therefore management's responsible, not any one frontline individual. But in the case of the O'Hare near-miss, the FAA was very quick to blame an individual air traffic controller. It was the, the next morning after the incident, the headlines all blamed uh, the single person who was placed on suspension. So there you go, problem solved, right? Well, that'd be true if, if this near-miss was truly a one-time fluke event, but that was the fifth similar near-miss at O'Hare this year. They're on pace to have more near-misses than they had in all of 2005, and LAX had a similar incident just a few days later. So... It's not so simple as to say that the incidents were each the fault of sloppy or careless individuals. You've got a number of systemic factors involved, ground radar systems that, that were turned off because they were generating too many false alarms, overworked air traffic controller staffs, bad weather, confusing runway markings. So it's no wonder that the FAA would rather blame an individual instead of taking systemic responsibility uh, for airline safety. So how do we move away from blaming? How does that idea fit in with the lean mindset? Let's go ahead and talk with Norman and find out. Today we're going to talk about the idea of blaming. How do we stop blaming and start solving problems for real, solving the root cause? So Norman, I was wondering if you could start by reminding our podcast listeners about this idea of respect for humanity and how it fits in with the Toyota production system. Yes, you know, um as we said, I think, in the last one, Toyota fundamentally has two pillars for their success, a lot more, but fundamentally two. And one is the um, examination of the timeline and uh, understanding that, that you know, it might only take, the, what we call value-adding time, might only take a few minutes, but it takes days or weeks to make, make the product. And so they realized that um, it was these wastes not trying to speed up production, getting machines faster, even new technology, was focusing on the elimination of waste. And we have these eight wastes that I uh, that we describe. The second part of the success of Toyota is what we call respect for people, respect for humanity. Uh, and this is the key difference between Toyota and other American companies that are attempting to do lean and are failing or not maximizing lean because they don't know how to do this part called respect for people. I'll give you a little story. I was on an airplane last week, and um, the lady behind me was on a cell phone. A lot of people on cell phones, they talk uh, quite loud, as if nobody else is around them. And if you have to scream on the, on the cell phone in order for the person to hear you, wherever they are. It's a funny phenomenon, but it happens every day. And she is talking to someone at one of her stores. She worked for a company with many stores, a large chain of stores. And what happened was a customer walked into the store, and the customer had bought something on the Internet from the same company, but wanted to return it to the store. And the woman in the store said, no, I'm sorry, we can't take it back. You'll have to send it back 
to where you bought it from. And she says, but I want my credit. And they said, well, you get your credit in three days. And three weeks later, she still didn't get her credit. Now, the woman talking on the telephone behind me, her reaction was, well, tell me the name of the person who was responsible. Okay. Um, what came to mind, to me, of course, is this whole area of respect for people, is we don't blame people. We don't blame people. Well, why is it that we, it seems like in so many different instances, we're so quick to say, whose fault was it? Who messed up? Why, yeah, why whose fault was it? Who's meant up? Because we don't want the blame. We don't recognize that we're managers. And as Harry Truman once said, the buck stops here. We're to blame. We're to blame because we haven't set up the system, right, that this mm-hmm. couldn't occur. We also didn't set up the process to make people responsible. That means to give power, right? Mm-hmm. To give power to the person that is in contact with the customer. So this salesperson is in contact with the customer but doesn't have the power to please the customer. Sure. And we're so fearful of giving that person power. What are they going to lose? I mean, say the dress was $500 and she lost $500. Well, it's a good lesson for her to learn, you know. Um, but we want to please customers because we know that this woman who is upset is going to tell at least 20 other people. Right. It's a funny thing that Matsushita said many years ago. Somebody complaining will tell 20 people. Somebody happy will only tell three. Right. Well, to recognize in order to give respect to people, we have to give them power. And what they did is, of course, when they went from smokestacks where one person would stand in front of one machine and produce piles of inventory. So that person would load the machine and they would stand there and wait. Wait. To me, this is deadly. The worst part of manufacturing is people standing and waiting. We have a lot of that in healthcare too, I'm saying. Oh, of course it's appropriate. (laughs) Waiting is terrible. People go to work to work. They're paid to work. So teach them. Let them work. Give them a process or a system where they're working and not waiting. So I went to an Oldsmobile plant, and I saw all these people waiting. To me, it was deadly. And then I go to Japan, and I go to Toyota on my first trip in 1981, uh, and I don't see anybody waiting. I don't see people waiting. And what Toyota did from the smokestacks, as most of us know, they set up these cells. And they set up a cell where a person, instead of running one machine, could run seven machines at the same time. In order to do that, one is you had to do what we call jidoka. Jidoka or autonomation is another word that they coined, which is to separate people from machines. I don't know about you, but I rarely see this done in America. We talk about it in Lean, but I rarely see it. I see people doing one-piece flow where one person passes a part to the next person, and then they have to sit and wait until they get the part from the previous person. Yeah, we see the same thing. I I do work with hospital laboratories, and you have a person standing in front of this machine that's testing people's blood. And we start start looking to transition and and take away some of that waiting time and have a cell where somebody can handle multiple instruments. And the the answer we get back, like to your example of one person can run seven machines, people – kind of almost instinctively say, whoa, 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 I can't work seven times harder. Yeah, it sounds like that's what you're asking me to yeah, do. That harder and smarter is a whole other issue we should talk about. It was coined by the unions 30, 40 years ago with General Motors, 
and they didn't care if people stood there and waited and did repetitive manufacturing and had terrible, boring jobs. They said, work smarter, not harder, but they never gave them the opportunity, and they really gave them the training. So let's go back here to the respect for people. So Jadoka is a very important part of this. We're, we're freeing people up. Now this person knows seven machines and not one. And the machine can wait. You see, in, in American manufacturing, because of our accounting, you know, now of course we're learning lean accounting, which is wonderful. I'll be speaking at the lean accounting conference too in Orlando, so come and join us, everybody. And so the, the accountant said, as long as we keep those machines, those big machines running, which cost millions of dollars, it was okay to amortize the person's labor over the parts coming out, right? Even if the person wasn't working. And because the machines were expensive, we wanted those machines to run. person can wait, the machines can't wait. So it's the opposite. First of all, if we design machines just to be solely used, we can make them or buy them much cheaper. We don't need machines with all kinds of widgets and all kinds of ability to do possible things. So we make as small machines as possible. I like what one Japanese told me. The machine should be no bigger than five times the size of the part. That's a beautiful, powerful statement. So these machines are less expensive. And if you amortize, you know, you figure the average person can cost you, say, I don't know, $40,000 a year. You multiply it times five years, that's $200,000. That's an expensive machine if we think in those terms. Another thing with this respect for people, and this was beautiful too, is they said, look, if we're serious in giving our customers quality, then we can't pass defects to the next station. Okay. We can't pass defects to the next person. And in order to do this, we have to empower people to stop working, to stop working and determine what the problem is and get to the root cause so we can eliminate these defects moving forward. Now, this is so simple and so beautiful. How do we transition from the mindset of the traditional manufacturing manager who would just point the finger at the workers and ask, well, you know, why aren't you keeping busy, back to this question of trying not but to... You see, but you, but what I just said, Mark, is we've designed work, right, for people to sit and wait and watch the machines going. I was just at a plant a couple of months ago, and he was standing in front of this big machine and just doing nothing. So how is it that we convince managers then to take responsibility for that design of the system and, and to, to to not be so quick to, to point the finger um, other than maybe at, you know, at themselves in the mirror? How do we? Well, in one of our future talks, I would love to talk about what is the manager's responsibility because I think it's totally opposite than what people perceive as their responsibility. Most managers' control is watching people. That's not what they should be doing. Um, we should be empowering people because they know they work the best. We should be challenging people. We've designed so much work for um, to limit people instead of expanding their capabilities. We have them do one thing repetitive over and over and over right. again. I mean, I saw one woman stamping out 5,000 pieces of a, a day. That's all she did, you know, and it was just horrible to watch this woman do that. But here what Toyota said is we don't want a defect to go to the next person. Okay, so we empowered them to stop working. We empower them to stop all the people around them. I've been to a Toyota plant where 300 people stopped working because one person detected a problem. Mm-hmm. Cho changed that. I don't think Ono would have liked that at all. I don't think Ono and Shingo 
would have liked that at all. But oh, but the current president, the current chairman, he just made chairman. Right. He changed it when he was in Georgetown, and he said, "No, I can't have this the plant stop that many times. We're going to put buffer stock." So they put buffer stock back into the line. There's some buffer zones in between parts. They of put the in line, buffer zones. I didn't count the number of people between each buffer, but now I think if one person stops, maybe 20 people stop instead of 200. Mm-hmm. But I want to like the process of stopping the plant because you're going to get to the root cause because you don't want 200 people to stop. And the funny thing is that at a Toyota plant, that line will stop 100 times, but it'll only stop for seconds, just a few seconds. Right. But let, let, let me take you back to about 10 years ago. I was working at General Motors, and we were making engine blocks, and you know, GM went and bought the same machining equipment that Toyota had been using that um, was – very interconnected um, with just a couple of pieces in between. It was different from their old process where they could let inventory batch up. If one machine was down, everything else kept running. So they had this new technology, and when one machining center would go down, basically the whole line would stop. So, you know, managers kind of addicted to that finger pointing. Their first question always was, well, whose fault yeah. was it? Who do I blame yeah. for that machine and for that line going down? So what? how, how do we break how do we break well, that we addiction? Well, we, we have to break that, that addiction by number one is you don't criticize, period. You don't criticize. The, I teach quick and easy Kaizen. And um, in fact, I was doing it today, working with a company here close by. Quick and easy Kaizen is a system to bring out creative ideas from all of the workers. In order to make that work, you can't criticize. You just can't. You can't tell them this is no good. I taught one company, a division of Boeing, mm-hmm. And one woman comes up with one of the first ideas, goes to a supervisor. The supervisor looks at it and he said, you know, that's not the way we imagine the system. The woman leaves the room, she goes over to a friend of hers, and she says, you know, I'll never give an idea again. And this is people. It's very, very easy to close them, and it's more difficult to open them. You've got to work on it. You look at an idea, and if it's crazy, you have to say to them very simply, our goal is to identify a problem and come up with a solution. What do you think the real problem is? And you give the person to talk it out. And then you give the person to talk out what the solution is. And maybe it requires just, you know, a little, little better direction, a little bit of rewording, etc. Listen, respect for people means we listen to them. Toyota has a, a philosophy which is just wonderful. Now, before I get into this, Remember, we're coming from a company called Toyota. Toyota, in many ways, was the most ruthless organization in Japan. Ruthless. People think Lean is all about being nice. Ruthless. Ruthless means that you work with Ono. Ono was a terror. (laughs) You had to do it. You had no choice. You had to do it, period. And there was no such thing. You couldn't bring it to him on time or bring it to him right. People but. With this ruthless system, and we can get more into this, comes the most humanistic management system that I know of today. And, and, and that's really interesting to see how that even ever develops. And it developed, I think one of the things we're talking about is this respect for people. And another thing I love is that I'm told that a Toyota manager is told to ask and don't tell. I ran a company with about 127 people when I owned Productivity Press. And... Since I was the owner and the boss, and I made the most money, and if I say it because of that, I must be the smartest, right? And if I'm the smartest, what do I have to ask people? So I never asked people. I just told people what to do. Told them what to do. 
they started to question me, I wouldn't even listen to them. Just go ahead and do it. And don't tell me you can't yeah. do it. I wouldn't let them say I can't do it. Yeah. Now, Toyota? Yeah. Now, what? No, I was just going to say, it's funny, you know, the Toyota management is always very open about saying here's what their problems were. And, and you mentioning, you know, here is your problem, you know, of always thinking that you were right. You know, and it sounds like, you know, you recognize that and something you learned from. Or do you also have examples of where, you know, you also fell into that habit of pointing blame at, at the employees in your company and, and what you learned from that? Yeah, well, I'll come back to that in a second, this whole idea of blame, because I just want to finish this. A Toyota manager asks. It's simply a give yeah. guidance, you give vision, you give direction, you state problems, and you ask people, even if you know the answer, you ask them what are they thinking how to do it. Now, this whole idea of blame, you can't do this. Blame just closes people up like an oyster, like a clam, shuts out the communication, turns off the respect, and people can't handle it. We're not taught how to handle it in our school systems. We're not taught how to handle criticism in our school <laughs> And so if we're going to be successful in the world against the Chinese and the Japanese and the Taiwanese, etc., we have to adapt our style is to bring out the best of our people and to invest in these people. Respect for people means Toyota, number one, is very careful who they select. They pay people very, very well and very competitive. Um, they reward people very well, and they develop people. I mean, you can come out of high school, and Toyota will encourage you to go to college to be an engineer. they rather you learn with them engineering than to come out of an engineering college. There are certain things that they can't develop so quickly, maybe like computer technologies, they'll go into the marketplace. But most often, they want people very young, they want people of a certain profile that are willing to go out and work, willing to sacrifice, willing to willing to work in cooperation with other people, that their ego is not so great, and they're very happy with this kind of work. And then they invest in them. They develop them. They train them. And the last thing I mentioned, which is respect for people, is what I call getting ideas from people. This quick and easy Kaizen system that I teach is really mm -hmm. so wonderful when you see the ideas that people will come up with when you ask them. I want people to make their own work easier and not work for the, wait for the boss to do it. I want people to make their work more interesting and not wait for the boss to do it. I want people mm -hmm. to build their own, their, their own skills and capabilities. And it should come from their own ideas. That excites us. If I get an idea, hey, this yeah. is a problem, you know, I can't make this electric light bulb work. And and very often companies say, well, I'll call maintenance. Well, I love Panasonic. There's a plant at Panasonic. There was no maintenance. <laughs> no maintenance department. Hmm. So you turn to the worker and you say, look, you know, you figured out how to get it fixed. And the worker says, but I don't know anything about electricity. Well, but Harry does over there. Have him train you. It is such a powerful system. Maybe a little painful at the beginning, you know, but if we want to compete with the Toyotas of the world, we have to learn how to bring out the best of our people. Now it's too easy. We have trouble in a plant. We close it and send the work to China. And this is amazing. We send the work to China, yeah. and Toyota comes here to make cars. And I'm sure when I, and I've read about and I've, I've blogged about how selective they've been, you know, hiring in San Antonio, and you, you talk about them wanting to train people, I'm sure it's probably a strike against you if you came and said, 
yeah, I used to work up at the GM Arlington plant for 20 years, and now I moved down to San Antonio. Will you hire me? That probably doesn't go very far. Well, you fit the profile. You know, Toyota's very careful. They've got 115,000 resumes, right? 115,000 people wanted less than 2,000 jobs in Texas. But they have to be very careful. They can't discriminate. They're looking for the Toyota type to come and join them. And um, can I give a little plug? Sure. <laughs> You've been good at working with so us in. our discussions. We're going to be doing more of these, hopefully every week or every other week. Yeah. So come and join us again. And I recommend you read my Kaikaku book, The Power and Magic of Lean. I like to share my stories of all the amazing people I've met in life, especially the hundreds of Japanese that I met and became their publisher for. And I, I enjoy this discussion. Each It's too short, though, Mark. 30 minutes, you turn me on. i got to talk for hours. <laughs> but we can do we can do more of these. Um, we, there's so many different topics we can uh, we can go into. And it, it seems like the way these topics are all interconnected, it's kind of hard to say we're going to pick one topic. Of course. Right. You know, these different these different ideas of uh, respect for humanity and the, the different lean concepts are, are very intertwined. Very simply this, Mark, from our discussion, there are, there are thousands, tens of thousands of companies trying to do lean. From the latest statistics, we're told 2% are doing it, and I doubt it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but everybody wants to do lean, but it's like hobbling around on one leg. If you don't do the respect for people part, you'll never get the other part right. It, it seems like it's, it's, re- it's really easy to look and say, uh, as, as managers, we're going to accept this idea of eliminating waste because that kind of allows me to point yeah. the finger. Like, look at all, look at all of that waste, you know, as if, as, you know, again, they're, they're sort of pushing blame away from themselves. But this idea of respect for humanity, that really requires managers to say, wow, there's something broken in the way we manage. And it seems like that's never really very popular, whether it was coming from Deming or, you know, whether it's coming from, Anybody else who's talking to industry, people aren't willing to say, yes, our management system needs to change, except for maybe, you know, when, when Toyota started the joint venture at NUMI with General Motors. They, you know, very intentionally, you know, they, they rehired people that used to work there, and they said, we're going to do a man- different management system. That was really the key. I don't understand why people don't learn from that. Well, hopefully we will soon. What you said is beautiful, you know. It's broken the way we manage. I love that. We have to talk more about that. We will in the future. The other thing is, how does Toyota, how did they give lifetime employment, right? How did they get, yeah. the, the, you know what I mean, how did they focus on eliminating these wastes? But included in these wastes was never the waste of people, was never getting rid of people, Right? They never look at yep. people as a waste. They yep. look at people as an opportunity to grow in the company. And I'm, I'm very fortunate, um, you know, doing this work in healthcare now. I think the healthcare world kind of gets it that, that layoffs are going to kill their lean efforts. I mean, for one, they've got the situation of having some real shortages of yeah. nurses and medical technologists, but you know, everybody that, that my company works with, you know, we, we insist on the no layoff pl- pledge and, and they go along with it, which, Really helps people get on board of, you know, they're going to, people, they hear the word lean and I don't blame them for thinking, oh, this is like the right. other consultants right. that came in right. before and people right. lost their jobs. But we really do try to show them that, that lean is different. I think a hospital should be viewed like a university, period. Doctors go through and they learn and grow, right? That's part of their colleges to go through the hospital. The same thing with everyone else yeah. in the hospital. They should come in there and go into a university and be continually trained. 
And the best way to train people, of course, is from their own ideas, their own problems, and having them solve it and learn in the process. Norman, thanks for being here again on the podcast. Mark, it's a lot of fun. Wonderful. We'll talk to you again, hopefully next week. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Thanks again, Norman. Again, I'd really like to thank my guest, Norman Bodak from PCS Press. Um, you can find links to his website and his books on my blog, www.leanblog.org. If you have any feedback, uh, you can contact me through the blog or you can call the Lean Feedback Line at 817-776-LEAN if you'd like to leave a voicemail and a question that might be used in a future podcast. We're also going to be doing an interview soon with Jamie Flinchbaugh of the Lean Learning Center and a colleague here on the blog to talk about um, some lean concepts. That will be one of the next podcasts, hopefully coming up within the next couple of weeks. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.